Amen, amen, amen. Well, you may be seated. Welcome again to Mercy Fellowship, whether you're with us here on, uh, in person or online. We're glad you could gather with us. Uh, here at Mercy Fellowship, we are saved by Jesus' work. We are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. And that means we believe that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ, who love God and who love people. And a big part of how we do that is as we gather together on a Sunday morning, we open up God's Word, we open up God's story to help us understand our story. And so today we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, if you haven't grabbed one yet, grab a discipleship guide for this series. We're in week number 5. You can also grab a scripture journal of Ecclesiastes so that you have uh, something in front of you to, to look at what we're going to be talking about. Uh, and so as you turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 in this series that we've been in all fall called Vapor, uh, finding meaning under the sun, uh, we said that, that because of kind of the transient nature uh, of life, that there's aspects of it um, that Ecclesiastes says uh, are vain, or the word actually translates vapor. Like you can kind of hold on to it for a moment, but then it kind of goes through your fingers. You can see it, you know it's there, but you really can't hold on to it in a real and lasting way. And so we find ourselves constantly searching for meaning and purpose because what we try to satisfy ourselves with in uh, the temporal life that we live in doesn't satisfy us for eternity. And so this book opened up um, with chapters 1 and 2 where it was looking at kind of uh, what is the purpose of life if there's all these unending cycles. And today we're going to talk a little bit more about cycles and seasons. And so uh, in chapter 1, uh, when it talked about cycles, uh, it was like, hey, you know, the sun rises and sets. You know, the wind is on its circuits. And with all of that, there was kind of this fatalistic, like, well, it is what it is. And so we come to a day like today and a season, if you will, that we've been in for maybe 18 months maybe longer, uh, and, and we begin to ask ourselves a very real question, at least I ask myself this question nearly every week now, and maybe you're asking it too. The question is this, what the heck is going on, right? Does anybody else ask that? Is anybody like, look at the news, or, you know, and you're like, oh my, what is going on? And then you're like, you know, for me, I tried to check out of it this week from, from news and kind of all that stuff. Like, I didn't want a downward spiral. We've talked uh, about that. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to focus on sports because that makes sense to me. And here we are, October 2nd, right? Yeah, October 2nd. Um, first place in the Pac-12 is Oregon State. If you don't know anything about football, that's not the team that wins, okay? And, and then, like, there's this team in Seattle that plays this, this game that's been around for a while called baseball, and, and, like, they have a chance of going to the playoffs? I mean, yay? Anybody excited? I don't, you know, it's baseball. Okay, yay! So, you know, we could talk about soccer, you want to talk about lacrosse, you want to talk about any other obscure sport, that's great. So, uh, what I love about that, actually, is, like, Seattle's, where well, this has nothing to do with the sermon, Seattle's such a baseball town, that like their moniker for this season is Believe from Ted Lasso, which is about an American football coach coaching in England soccer. So like, yeah, we love baseball so much that we're going to chant stuff from soccer shows. Wow. If you were wondering if this sermon is going to go over time, that you've already gotten your answer right there. So here we are. Let's get in to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 because um, we cannot continue to walk through a perspective that all of life is somehow meaningless. And really the big thesis of Ecclesiastes, which if you don't know, um, written, we believe, by Solomon to kind of partake and give away wisdom to the next generation, the word Ecclesiastes actually means the preacher. So all of Ecclesiastes, all 12 chapters, is one big sermon about finding meaning uh, in, in, in relation to who God is as we try to navigate a world that feels like God is distant or disconnected. And so last week actually ended with some hope. He'd been running these experiments about wisdom, about work, about self-indulgence, uh, and he had found himself uh, uh, lacking and not being satisfied. And then it ended last week with a little bit of hope that, hey, God re-entered the picture, and the curtain, if you will, of like a basement laboratory got pulled back, and a little bit of light started to shine in. And that's where we find ourselves today in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 1 through 15 today. We're going to start first with just verse 1. If you have your Bibles, hope you do, turn yourself to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting in verse 1. 
says this, for everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Let's stop there. What is your philosophy for looking at the world? Like, and you're like, oh, I'm a Christian, maybe, you know, like, yeah, just God's in control. But functionally, when those unsettling news stories come in or when circumstances in your life change, you lose your job, there's a relational issue going on, like things get unsettled, what is your actual worldview? Like, does it end up boiling down somehow to, to karma, right? Just want to put out some good vibes there, want to do a little bit more better uh, good things than bad things so that it kind of evens out. It, it, do you have a concept of fate that, that either is like, you know, going to lead to some great destiny or, or lead to some great destruction? Or, 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 or are you like a lot of people where um, when different things happen, uh, you start to say things like, well, the universe is trying to tell me this. And, and man, I just, I hear that. And my heart aches when I hear that, that a little bit because um, it always um, looks at a universe or the universe as what? Cold and random, right? Like, I, I don't know. You know, so things are actually going well. Like, you actually have something happening nice in your life. And you're like, well, I just kind of, I won life's lottery. I'm privileged. Things just, I was lucky. And, and and I would submit to you that, that if that's all there is, cold, random, fate, like that our life experiences then would just kind of be an, a, a great cosmic accident. And, and if that's where we're going to actually functionally see the world, then it's going to lead us to a couple things. If the world and the universe is random, random is angst-producing and fear-inducing, right? Because why try? If it's all just random, if it's all just like a, a roll of the dice, right? And then, and certainly if, if things are going well, then you know that if things are random, if things are just chaotic, then you are one misstep, one chaotic thing happening from your entire world equilibrium being unsettled, you know, losing your house, losing your job, losing your health, like whatever that is for you. And that would be angst producing and fear inducing. And that would mean that life under the sun, which we've defined in Ecclesiastes as life apart from God, would ultimately be meaningless because you're just kind of maybe hoping to make it through. And so we look at world events and we look at events in our own lives and at certain points, patterns and cycles and seasons begin to emerge a, a, a little bit and we can start to recognize them. And maybe they weren't always clear, but we're like, oh my gosh, that, that seemed, what, what once seemed chaotic actually now seems like, like maybe there was some intention to it. And so the big idea from verse one that I want us all to hold on to, to have sink deeply into our, our souls and really into our, our, just our beings and how we rest is this. We believe in a God who's intentional. That means that there is nothing that happens that is an accident. And so we can, we can rest in that. There's a God who's intentional. Uh, and so what that means, in verse 1, it says there's a season and a time for every matter, not under the sun, but under what? It says under heaven. Okay, that's actually a distinction. Because while we've been, for the first couple chapters, looking at Ecclesiastes 1 and 2 as like a under the sun, divorced from God reality. What can I see? What can I experience? When, when he begins to look above the sun to the one who created the sun, uh, to look beyond the universe to the one who created the universe, he says, oh, actually, there is a time and a season for every matter under heaven. So rather than uh, an existence that's, that's completely disconnected from God, we're actually talking about the way the world works in a way where God is watching over what is under the sun, where God is involved in what is under the sun, where what is under the sun is, is ordained by God, is watched over by God, planned by God, and executed by God. So we can say, hey, yeah, God's the creator of the universe. And, and you have to know, like as a Christian, we do start there. God created everything. But some of us have functioned as if God was, was like, um, uh, what are they called? Uh, not a pressure cooker. I think they're, the, uh, uh, an Instapot, right? What do you do with an Instapot? Set it and forget it, right? We have this view of God. See, there's your infomercial for the day. All of you are getting Instapots now, right? Um, all of us start with this idea that maybe God, well, yeah, he, maybe he made everything, but have you seen how it's going right now? He must have just like set it and forget it. And certainly when we think about sin entering the world, we think about the chaos 
that that causes. We ask ourselves, is God really involved in this? And so, under heaven, like we said, is this word that means that there is a God who's the creator of the universe, heaven and earth, and he's also the master of all time. That means God is still involved in his story today, right now. So when we begin to ask a question like, what the heck is going on? We can at least say, well, there's a God who's intentional over what's going on. And that might not give you a ton of comfort yet, but I hope it does, because if we think about a God being intentional, intentionality is only good if the intentions are good. So um, if you think about uh, like the history of the 20th century, was a lot of world powers and governments being super intentional about being absolutely horrible to their people. And so if the intentions aren't good, then intentionality doesn't really matter. So it's not enough for us to, to worship a God who's, who's big and intentional unless we remember that God's intentions are always good. As Christians, we say God is good all of the time. All of the time, God is good. And so evil can have a plan for destruction and division and death, but God is not just intentional. His intentions are unquestionably good. And so um, we're going to come to the next verses here um, in uh, Ecclesiastes 3, uh, and they're going to start to look really, really familiar for, for some of you. And um, this might be generational, I don't know, but um, in the 60s was this song by uh, a band called The Birds. Uh, it's called Turn, Turn, Turn for Every Season, Turn. turn. Okay, that's as much singing. That's why we have Garrett sing. Um, and in this, the entirety of the lyrics of this song, except for two exceptions, are the verses we're about to read here next in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3. And so um, it starts to lay out patterns about a God who is loving. And so when we think about seasons, when we think about cycles, and if there's a God who's, I'll use the word predestined those things, a God who's in control of those things, we can get really pessimistic if we believe the worst about God. Like, wow, you were in control of that? That was a terrible season. When instead, we can see them as an opportunity for hope if we remember the enduring character and nature of God, that he has the power to bring life where there was death and to bring hope where there's despair. So as we look at these verses here, verses three, sorry, two through eight, I want us to remember God's good character through them. Ecclesiastes 3, verses 2 through 8. This is this, this epic poem that Solomon's written about cycles and the way that God works in them. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. So there's social distancing, 2020, right there in the text. Okay, moving on. Verse 6, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow or mend, a time to keep silent, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. So as we look at that, and we begin to consider the concept of seasons, both in our lives individually, as a society, collectively, and in history uh, overall, that this famous poem, and it is famous, like, I mean, this has been looked at for, for several thousand years now, um, uh, it talks about the comprehensive nature of the times and seasons and cycles of life. That God has set times for everything forever, and, and his, his purpose is to show some of that intentionality that we would both be in awe of how God has designed things, and that would lead us to worship. Only when you look at the dual nature of these cycles, right? Time to be born, time to die, time to weep, time to laugh. We are so familiar with these cycles. There's almost nothing in these things that is difficult to, to talk about, maybe with the exception of, uh, of one verse, verse, fi verse 5, I think it is, um, that's a little confusing. Um, but these are so familiar to us, that we just kind of like get underwhelmed. Like, yep, it's a time to live and a time to die. Time to weep and a time to laugh. Really hoping for that laugh time. That'd be great. 
right? A time for war, a time for peace. Like, that's just it, it, kind of like, it's this resigned, it is what it is. When the reality is when we see that there's a God who is over these things, it should give us a sense of peace because what happens when we're underwhelmed with the seasons, well, that changes when you find yourself in a difficult season and you go from underwhelmed with God's creativity to overwhelmed with the circumstances that you're dealing with in your own life. How many of us have been overwhelmed during this past season? Where you just, I, I don't know how to go another step. I don't know how to make it much farther. So when we look at verse two of this poem, I want us to see that as the umbrella that everything else is under. It says there's a time to be born and a time to die. And what that means is as we experience our lives, there are two days that you are never going to be late for, right? The day of your birth and the day of your death. In between, a lot of you are late, a lot of you are late today. That's pretty standard on a Sunday, I get it. I'll try to make sure the sermon doesn't go late so that you don't get late for the Mariners game, all the other things going on, right? But this is like the, the big umbrella that covers the biggest moments in our lives that we don't really have any control over those days. Like, if you're a mom, you're like, oh yeah, you know, you're pregnant, right? And you're like, oh, the baby's late. Nope. That's just when it's supposed to be there. Sometimes we, we can think of tragedy. And we're like, oh man, that, that person went too soon. And, and yeah, there's, there's sin and brokenness in the world, so there is tragedy. But Psalm 139 says that all of our days are numbered by God, and, and, and the writer of Ecclesiastes knows this, right? Uh, and so this, this poem is, is so comprehensively realistic about our life experiences that it, it really gets to the outer limits of what we do and what we feel, and so we see this range from birth to death. Um, and, and the funny thing is, if you go through this poem again, you're going to realize that there are times and seasons that you've participated in maybe the positive things on this list, and there's times and seasons that all of us have participated in what we'd call the negative things on this list. Like all of us have been in creative endeavors and maybe all of us have participated in destructive endeavors. So we, we, we love and we want seasons of planting and healing and building up. But we also recognize that we're part of seasons of uprooting, of killing, of breaking down, of hate. And so that doesn't lessen our responsibility in those Seasons, just because God says that they're going to, to, to be there. But in verse 10, it tells us that God has given us this business. We're going to see this a little later in the text. Uh, and last week we saw that we were created for work, to have purpose and, and meaning, to cultivate, to be fruitful. And so there are times in our lives that, that the endeavors that we are in are seasons of building up. Right? There, there are seasons we go through, right? You, you're working on your education so you can get to that next part of your job, right? You're, you're, you're beginning to lay the foundations of a relationship that you think might lead to, to marriage, right? Um, you, you're, you're married, uh, and, and maybe you're thinking about having kids as well. And so there's seasons where you, you buy your first home, and, and that's exciting until they, they give you the monthly mortgage payment and what that looks like, right? And you see all the years, and you're like, 30 years from now, that's not even a real year. Like 2057, like that's not real. That's a make-believe time, right? Um, and so you're, you're, you're thinking about these seasons and you start to fill up your house, right? You're, you're buying, you're consuming. And, and kids are born and maybe you're filling up those rooms with kids. And then there's seasons where you're saying goodbye to kids and you're cleaning out their rooms and maybe now you're going to get like a home gym or I don't know what you're doing with that room, right? But eventually, you start to downsize, right? And you start selling stuff off left and right. You start to, to, to gather up um, your resources to maybe think about handing off to the next generation. And everything you bought this weekend at Target will at some point be in your estate sale. And somebody's going to be like, really? You know, pumpkin uh, soap pump, they needed that? You're like, yeah, we needed it. It was, it was fall, right? Yeah, okay, so that hit close to home for a few folks. Okay. Right, but, but, but they, we know these seasons. 
We know these seasons where you're getting ready to retire and you're going to hand something off. Somebody else is like, hey, I'm just getting really fired up about it. I'm ready to, to charge the next hill. And so we find ourselves in gathering and building and, and tearing down. And there's going to be seasons even of, of brokenness in relationships, right? You're like, well, these people were like my best friends and now we don't hang out together anymore. Or this person, man, I just, I never, I, I just couldn't stand them. And now we're like best mates. And, and, and we're living life together. And so there's, there's these constantly changing seasons where individually and corporately we experience all these different things. And so like, like, like we know that there are times uh, where maybe like you're working on restoration of a home or something uh, that's been broken. And there's other times where, where it's time to tear things down, right? And so I want you to ask yourself, like, which season are you in now? And maybe you're like, I, I don't know. And, and, and actually, I hope you don't know. And maybe you, you came in like when we're asking the question, what the heck is going on? What season are we in now? Um, it's really, really difficult to answer that question, and here's why. Big idea from this text. Number one, seasons are not always self-evident. Okay, seasons are not always self-evident, right? Seasons are not always perfectly delineated and segmented. So if you are like looking at this poem, and it's really cool how it's structured, okay? There, there's, there's 14 pairings, so two groups of seven, uh, and, and it's like seven's a number of completion in the Bible, a number of perfection, and so it's the first seven are kind of more individually focused, the second seven uh, are kind of more corporately focused in what's going on in the world. Like it's got an awesome design, but if you think that because of the explanation of how the world works it is, is very structured like that, you're going to get super, super frustrated if you're trying to pinpoint, yes, I am in the season of laughter right now. Because seasons, are, they blend together, right? And, and the season you're going through might be different than the season you're going through. Right? Anybody ha had relationships with friends where you're like, man, you're getting a promotion, you're getting a raise, like all, all that's going great, and, and your friend's really struggling. And there's another time where that's, that's switched, right? Some, of, some people are getting ready to have babies, and some people are dealing with cancer right now. It's all happening at the same time. And so the seasons don't perfectly delineate. It's not perfectly segmented. And so as we ask ourselves, which one are we in, right? Different seasons happen at different times. And, and yeah, they might be some indication of where you are, right? There, there might be a season that seems like there's more death and mourning than there is laughter and dancing. And that can be helpful. But, but let's be clear, right? None of us choose like, hey, this is my season for grief. Like, hey, I'm going to sign up for that. Yeah, you know, like, you know, when you're in college, right, you like lay out that plan for what classes you're going to be in. You're like, I'm going to do seasons of death and grief in the wintertime. And then I'm going to do joy and laughter in the springtime because, you know, it's just way more fun. Winter stinks already, so let's just do death then. We don't get to choose these things. And sometimes the greatest celebrations and joy and laughter we experience aren't planned. Anybody ever gone on a vacation or a trip that you planned and that was not the best time of your year? If you did that with your family, <laughs> maybe it wasn't as much fun, right? I, so I love my family, love my kids, but like, man, you know, you, you plan for things to be great and it doesn't go, go well. And sometimes the greatest seasons are the ones you didn't plan. The greatest surprises, the greatest things. So like it's, it's just not perfect in how it aligns. And so when you ask yourself today what season you're in, then you get to think a little bit about your own responsibilities and your own duties. Who am I called to serve today? Who am I called to love and lead today? Who am I called to care for today? What has God had for me today? And to be focused on that. Because we are placed in a story with purpose and meaning and enjoyment. But if we only, like, you know, you take this poem and you break it out on, on like, the positives and the negatives. If, if we are like, man, I, I know I'll have joy during these seasons, then we're going to be really, really frustrated when they blend together and there's a mixture of, of weeping and dancing. There's a, a mixture of, of life and death happening in our stories. We're going to be incredibly disappointed if we're not able to find joy in all of the seasons that we're going through. And that's because, number two, different seasons are necessary. Okay? The reason there's all these different seasons, every single one of them is necessary in some way, shape, or form, right? You need to have a season of planting if you're going to have a season of harvest, right? 
if there's going to be death, then you need to have birth. If, think about it this way. You're like, I don't, what, a season of tearing down? Okay, what's demo day? Right, you're doing something, a project at your house? That is a necessary season, right? You've got to have demo day. You've got you to tear down. You've got to destroy in order to, 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 to build. I'm not going to say build back better. I just said it. Okay, right? But right, you have to tear some things down if you are going to actually make something better than it is. And that's a normal part of life. When there is evil in the world, on the march, in the advance, then it better be a time of war. It better be a time to fight back against evil. If there's injustice happening in the world, maybe that's not the time to be silent. Maybe that is the time to speak up. But that takes discernment and wisdom. But they're both necessary. Because a time to hate, I don't want a time to hate. Well, if you can think honestly about your own character and your own life, and you understand that, like, the concept that the Bible has of sin, how sin is, is brokenness, and, and it's rebellion from God, and it's infected and affected everything. Like, totally okay to hate your sin. Because it's keeping you and robbing you from life. It's actually keeping you from loving God and loving others. And you can war against it. Because you desire peace. Which is wholeness with God and with his people. And so all of these seasons are necessary. Number three, this one's hard for us, I think. Seasons are meant to be experienced and embraced, not just endured or avoided. Seasons are meant to be experienced and embraced, not just endured or avoided. Like we said, we don't get to determine what season we're in, right? Even, like, you live here in the Northwest, like, we don't get to pick when the seasons come. They just come, and you don't get to, to check out, right? We, we don't get to determine seasons. We have to navigate them. And so sometimes Christians, we get a little wonky and we start to say, well, I'm definitely in a season of trial right now. And so I know a season of joy is just around the corner. Maybe. That's, that's like, that's like, like winter is coming. We know this is happening, right? Uh, and, and there's that one weekend in February. We all know it if you're from the Northwest. No, we're like, it's sunny and like 55 and like, you're like, okay, we made it. We made it through winter. And then, nope, eight, nine more weeks, months, whatever, one of those two, right? We don't get to determine when the seasons end. You don't get to decide, I'm going to leave this season and enter another. You don't get to simply wish winter away. Winter lasts as long as it does. So what we're called to do, rather than just enduring winter, if you will, but it's to attempt to see what God's doing in your life, to attempt to try to, to accurately assess, all right, God, what season do you have for me? To properly identify the seasons you're in, right? And, and, and that's, that is a challenge, right? I mean, it's, it's an okay endeavor to try to determine what season you're in because, um, right, there's just this dissonance if you're, if you're acting like it's winter in the middle of summer, Right? You know, you go spend time in eastern Washington, eastern Oregon in the summertime, you're wearing a parka, there's something wrong with you. But some of us do the opposite. We're in winter, and we're just pretending it's sunny. Especially this morning, Sunday morning. How is everybody on Sunday morning? Y'all are great. How's your week? Fine. Fine. Don't ask a follow-up. Right? Because we're pretending it's summer when it's winter. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to, to say, I don't like this season. God, what are you trying to do for me in this season? And then remember, no matter what season you're in, God is with you in that season. So no matter what the season is, you are not alone. And so it, it's okay, it, it is okay if you find yourself in a season or period of time that you don't like or understand, to, to pray, God, end this season. As a perfectly fine prayer. But you also, and we also need to pray, God, what are you trying to teach me in this season? God, how are you trying to, to grow me and shape me in this season? Because I would contend that those seasons that are the most positive, if you will, are, are, are not necessarily times of growth, but they're times of rest. And that's great. It's great that God gives us joy in the midst of difficult seasons. 
Like, throughout Ecclesiastes, you're going to see different moments where he says, like, eat and drink, like, enjoy. But also, it's those times of adversity that grow us the most, that shape us the most, where our resiliency is revealed, or rather, our fragility is revealed. And we recognize that we need to find our resiliency in the Lord. God, I can't endure this. Lord, I need you, not just to, to lead me through this, but I, you're just going to have to pick me up and carry me through it. And so, yeah, pray for a season to end, but also to just pray that God would grow you and shape you in that season. And so rather than hoping that the next season's going to come along, right, just waiting for that next season, you actually remember that God is with you in the time and season you're in now. And so that, that's challenging, right? Because when we're in, in school, right, we want to graduate, right? When you're single, you want to get married. When you're, you know, when you're married, you want to have kids, maybe. I don't know, right? And, and so we're always waiting for the next season rather than embracing where God has us now today. Enjoy today. Embrace today. Because this is the day that God has given us. And know that your life doesn't begin in that next season, but your life is happening right now. And so... I know we, we all want to ask, and maybe we all want an answer, to what season are, are we in? What season's the world, you know, what the heck is going on? Be nice to know which season we're in. I think seasons are best determined in the rear view, because I, I don't think our perception's always right on. That said, my perception, my, I'll just say my opinion is it seems like our country and our culture is in a season of tearing. A season of tearing down. A season of separation. A season of conflict. And that could be incredibly pessimistic if we think that the whole world's defined by just that negative column in that poem. And so my, my hope for us, and where I think we can even find some encouragement, is in knowing that if if we're in a season right now of tearing, then that means at some point, according to Ecclesiastes 3, that there's a season of mending. There's a season of building up. There's a season of peace. Um, there's this verse 5 that might be a little confusing, right? A time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones together. Everyone's like, what does that mean? Um, what, what's awesome is, is when you get to, to study the Bible a little bit more, like it, it starts to reveal itself, right? And, and, and part of that is, is throughout the rest of the Bible. So uh, at one point um, in, uh, I want to say it's in 1 Kings, I might get the reference wrong, um, but God actually instructs Israel when they go to war to fill the fields of their enemies with stones so it won't produce anything. So they have to experience famine and they have to experience loss. And so it's it's... It's, it's a season of conflict, if you will, of desolation. But then he says there's a time, a time to gather those stones up, to help the land heal, if you will, to bring back fruitfulness to a place that had met futility and frustration. And if you look at even how this poem's structured, this is the seventh kind of couplet in that first section. Um, and then the last one, the second section, is also about war and peace. So it kind of ties in that way. The reason I think that's significant is because there will be a season. And it might be next week, it might be next month or next year, it might be a decade from now. We might not actually even see it. But there is a season coming where, where the stones are going to be gathered together, where things are going to be built up, where there is a mending that happens. And so with that, I, I hope we can have some hope knowing that building and mending is ultimately coming. All right, next verses. Verses 9 through 13. This is, this is Solomon kind of giving a commentary on his own uh, poem, if you will. Um, there'll be a time and a season where the lights work all the time, too. In the new heavens and new earth, probably. Um, all right, here we are. Verses 9 um, through uh, 13. What gain has the worker from his toil? We've been asking that all fall. I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he's put eternity into man's hearts, 
yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them to be joyful, to do good as long as they live, so that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man or to, to humanity. And so what, what I love is more than just a, a hope for, hey, there's going to be a mending down the road. We're, we're given hope now that we get to rest in the promises of a God who it says is always working. So there's not a moment here in these seasons that God is not at work. And so God is involved, and we see that, that God has, has given us life as a gift. He's given us tasks. He's given us treasure to steward. He's also given, like, not he's given us, but there is sin in the world. So there is toil. There is difficulty. But we can and do experience enjoyment in this life. But it's enjoyment that comes remembering that we are to be in a communion with a God who made us. And so when, when chapter 1 starts to ask this question, like, what does it all mean? What gain is there in our toil, in our work, in our struggle? We begin to get the answer, and, and that there's great hope in all these seasons and cycles of life. And where's that great hope found? Well, look right at verse 11. Verse 11 is not just a little bit of light glimmering into the basement. Verse 11 is a strobe light illuminating everything with warmth and clarity. And he says, everything will be made beautiful in its time. Everything will be made beautiful in its time. I mean, that is, that is such good news. It's this statement when we look at those halves and cycles uh, that are negative in that poem that there's also the positive side. And that the trajectory of them, while it begins with birth to death, the ultimate trajectory is where? The poem ends with peace. Life with God and his people. Full wholeness and satisfaction. And so we, we have this, this um, sense of, of, yeah, there's brokenness and, and, and there's these cycles that are negative, but you get this, this good news, if you will, that if your season you're in isn't beautiful, that means its time has not come yet. So whatever is ugly, whatever is, is angry, whatever is abusive, whatever is destructive, it's not over. God makes everything beautiful in his time. And so that means that our cycles of mourning and tearing down and war and weeping and death, like when we get to those places, and we've all been in those places at some point, and you get to those places of, of death, destruction, mourning, maybe even hopelessness, the reason you get to hopelessness is because you think somehow that those points or seasons are a destination. And here we see no. It's part of the journey. And none of us want to sign up for those parts of the journey. But the destination isn't desolation. The destination is everything beautiful in its time. Made by God. So no matter how terrible a season feels, almost the more terrible it is in a sick way, I don't know if it's a sick way or not, but like you can... You can almost have more encouragement because you know it's not done yet. Because God makes it says everything beautiful in its time. We have to be aware of the bigger story in our lives of, of God's story because we're far too quick when things are terrible to, to believe what. I mean, what was the big refrain in the last 18 months? Welcome to the new normal. What if you don't like it? What if the new normal really sucks? God makes everything beautiful in his time. We don't have to settle for new normal when it's terrible. We don't have to be stuck in these seasons of grief and death and desolation. You don't want no, I don't want it to be normal. If the new normal is terrible, I don't want it. I want better. So when something looks terrible, it means it's not done yet. We get this hope really clearly in Romans 8, 28. Paul writes to just a very, like, like a, a superpower, if you will, um, that's, that's going through a lot of, of trials and internal struggles and whatnot. And he, he writes to the church in Rome, in the capital of the Roman Empire, and he says this, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So in that we see that God works all things 
for good. It's like God makes all things beautiful in its time. In this case, he says, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So our hope isn't just that it's going to be made better for you. But our hope is that you are known and called and loved by God. So you're not alone. You can have hope in the midst of those difficult seasons. And so what happens in the midst of despair or in these difficult seasons is we begin to think that our moment defines history. So we cannot confuse our moment with his story. Because his story is bigger than the moment that we're in. See, if, if, if all of human history was some sort of a movie, your lifetime and certainly what we're experiencing right now, it, it wouldn't even be like, it wouldn't get like its own scene on YouTube. It would be like, like, like a flash of, of maybe one uh, scene, not even a scene, sorry, um, you know, just, just a frame, an image. And we, and we get that snapshot, and we get that image, and we try to study it and try to understand what's going on. And we're like, ooh, I don't like this story. This is terrible. God makes all things beautiful in its time. So that means the story's not over yet. And so, like, you watch the beginning of Saving Private Ryan, and you want to get a couple stills from the guy storming the beaches of Normandy, you're going to think that's a terrible movie. Because the story's not over yet. We get this perspective where we exhaust ourselves trying to turn winter into summer artificially because we want the story to move into the better chapter right away and we forget to see what God's doing in the world in our lives. And so the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying this poem is not about primarily the seasons because they can feel like a tyranny. But instead, it's about the God who's the master over all the seasons, the master of all times, who it says here in these verses has put eternity into our hearts. And that means that we're never going to find our satisfaction in anything that is temporary. God says, hey, quit, quit trying to figure out the entire story and understand all of human history when I'm with you right here, right now. God knows that we're trying to find our satisfaction in something temporary. And so I... I I want to say this, that it's okay to find enjoyment now. Like, like yes, find some enjoyment now. But you're going to end up finding yourself in a place of longing again. And if you have any dissatisfaction in your life at all, that may be a gift from the Lord for you to not try to find your satisfaction in that which is temporary and that which will not ultimately satisfy the early church father um, in Africa, uh, Augustine, said it this way. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. We will not experience rest until we are trying, uh, and placing rather, our hopes, our fears, our identity in the God who made us. And so we need some comfort now, right? We need some, some good news, right? You are made to desire more than what is directly in front of us. You are made to long for more than what we see. And like we said, we can't see the fullness of God's plan or design. Like we have to, to I, I don't want to just tritely say have faith. But you have to understand there's going to be aspects of this that we're not going to get. And yet God has given us so much because he hasn't left us alone to guess on the times and seasons at all times. He's given us his word. And his word actually breaks down into this amazing plot of creation, of fall, of redemption in Jesus Christ, and ultimately it ends in, in, in restoration of all things. And so if you're looking at a scene in the movie and you're wondering, like, when is it going to get good? Like, remember the whole plot and recognize that we are in the place between God redeeming his people, redeeming us from sin because of Jesus' work in our place on the cross, and the time of full consummation where there's a new heavens and new earth and no more brokenness, no more tears, and, and, and all of the seasons shift to the positive column. We're in the in-between time. And man, I, I get so frustrated uh, with, with sometimes with, with even other pastors. Like, like, is that now? I don't know. Because what the Bible says really clearly is no one's going to know the hour or the time. So if you got somebody who's like sharing out on social media and they're like, hey, 
you hear what's going on in Israel? Like, Jesus is coming back next Tuesday. I mean, maybe. I, you know, set a calendar reminder on Tuesday to be like, did you hear? You know, like, like what I can tell you is, is we're closer than we were. And there's been a lot of generations who've gone through a lot worse than us who thought it can't get worse than this. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And so it's okay to be people who want Jesus to come back quickly. But we're not supposed to just check out and wait for eternity. Remember, he has us right here, right now for a reason and a purpose. And so what's our big like, like takeaway? Like how are we gonna now live? I believe it's this. Enjoy God's gift today. Enjoy the work God has given you today while anticipating eternity for tomorrow. Like, it's super simple. Like, I mean, he even has it right here in these texts. Like, hey, work your job. Have a good meal at the end of the day. Enjoy some entertainment. Work on your house. Love your kids. Pour into your community. Like, do all those things. Because he has us here today. And so he has a purpose and a meaning for it. We're called to do good and have joy, he says, today. Because he says, do these things as long as you live. And that reminds us that there is a day coming. That's our time. Our time to go. That our time, in a sense, as well to be judged. And I know that's not a word that we like. The Bible says it's, it's determined once for, for a man to die and then we face judgment. And so that day will come in the future, but for now we're in this in-between time where we get to determine, like, is life, like, like because there's systems and structures and, and seasons, is it a prison that we're all in? Or is it a playground God's given us to enjoy? And the difference is, what's your relationship with the Lord? Because if you don't know the Lord, then because of sin, because of brokenness, you're separated from the Lord. And that means... Yeah, it's, it's a prison because, because God sees you and your relationship with him is judge. And I just, you're not going to measure up. But if your hope and trust and, and faith is in Jesus, then that means that God doesn't see you as judge. You've been adopted into his family as sons and daughters. So that means that human history isn't this prison that ultimately leads to a death sentence. But it's a playground before we get to eternity. And that's a totally different perspective. And that has to do with the relationship with the Lord. See, we need to have rich concepts of salvation and, and, and of grace and mercy. And we see these in these last verses in Ecclesiastes as we get ready to close. It says this. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear or revere before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away or what has been separated. So God starts to answer our eternal longing with an enduring satisfaction and eternal salvation. And he does so so that we will stop trying to save ourselves or be satisfied in that which is just a temporary solution. So when we ask where's security and refuge found when we're wondering what the heck is going on in the world, it is found in a God in his character. He says in verse 12 and in verse 14, he begins these great sentences on God's character as I perceive. What it, it, that, that's more than just I see. It's a conviction deep in his soul that says, I know. I know that God's judgment is forever, but I know that God's mercy is more. His grace is sufficient for our weakness and sin. That I know, I perceive that God, who because of sin we are separated from, it says that he pursues that which is separated. So that means for us who don't know Jesus or feel a distance from God or, or begin to recognize, hey, maybe I'm not perfect here, but that separation doesn't have to lead to destruction because it says, God's pursuing you. You came into church today. Like something is happening in your soul, in your spirit, that is drawing you to the Lord who made you. And so that means that, that today is your day, like that song from the 60s says, to turn, turn, turn. The, 
I don't know if they knew it when they wrote it. It's the 60s. Maybe they were on acid. But it is an absolute call in the midst of all seasons to repent, to turn, to turn, to turn from that which leads to death, that which leads to evil, that which leads to destruction, to that which leads to peace and to joy and to life. And, and, and turn, 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 like that's not, we didn't see that here in chapter 3. They added that. The only other lyric in that song that's not from chapter 3 is the very end of the song they say, I swear it's not too late. There's a sense of urgency. Because all of us today are between our day of birth and our day of death. So this is our day. This is your time to actually turn to turn from sin, to rest in Jesus who pursues us in our separation. Romans 5, 6 says that while we are still weak, it means while we are like still spiritually dead, while we were, we were sinners, right? At the right time, that God is over time, said at the right time, Christ died for who? The ungodly, the sinners, those who needed it. Like all those seasons of times culminated at the right time, Christ died. Jesus came, Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose, Jesus lives, and Jesus saves. And so it's time right now for Jesus. Jesus shows up on the scene, and in the Gospel of Mark 1.15, it says, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Turn, turn, turn. I swear it's not too late. And maybe you're like, all right, this is my day. I'm going to repent and follow Jesus. Maybe for some of you, you're like, I've repented and followed Jesus. Now what? Exhale. And let's anchor ourselves in something and someone that doesn't change no matter what the seasons are. Right? Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So no matter what the season we're in, Jesus stays the same. And you're like, but right now, everything seems so fragile. Everything seems so shaky. Everything seems like it's about to fall apart. And that leads us to Hebrews 12, 28, last verse, and we're done. It says this, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and offer. Our God is a consuming fire. Today is your day to turn from sin. And for all of us, it's a day to rest in God, to live and work and worship with gratitude and awe as we simply trust Jesus. Let's pray.